invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. Yesterday we were looking at James chapter 4, verse 8, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. What is the consequence of being near to God? Well, we'd like to look at that in part this morning from Daniel chapter 1 to begin with, keeping in mind that it is more important that we hear what God has to say, being far more important than anything that anybody could say about what God has said. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1 begins, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed, and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored, and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge, and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink, for why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Meltzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days. Not two weeks, not thirty days, but ten. And let them give us pulse to drink, to eat, and water to drink. Pulse is vegetables, vegetables and water. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter, and proved them ten days. And at the end of ten days their, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. 
Let's take a moment and ask God to guide us. Our Father, we are very thankful for the book of Daniel and for the loving kindness that you have demonstrated in giving us this practical, this practical portion of this prophetic book. Help us to be careful to make this portion of your word our portion. And may we, we absorb this into our thinking and may it be evident in our conduct and in what we do and how we do it. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Daniel's a fascinating book. Twelve chapters, 357 verses. It's a book of practical instruction, and it's a book of prophetic instruction. It is, in a sense, the, the specialized book of Bible prophecy from the Old Testament. Not the only one, but it's the one that perhaps concentrates most on this subject. I think Daniel is a fascinating character. Because if he had a reason, if anybody ever had a reason to compromise, Daniel did. Daniel is a young man, probably in his early teens, captured by an enemy power, deported, and that would be humiliating enough by itself. He had probably been traumatized, witnessing, no doubt, the death of many of his people, perhaps his own parents and family, being taken into a foreign country, foreign culture, foreign religion, foreign customs, and all that went with it, if anybody had a a reason to feel sorry for themselves, Daniel probably did. But he didn't. Because there was something in him that was stronger and better than all of the, the negative things that took place in his life. I'd like to speak to you about character. Where does character come from? Character comes from being in the presence of God, being near to God. Not just theoretically or theologically, but practically, experientially. And of course, that has a biblical, solid biblical basis. I don't think anybody would question the fact that Daniel, as presented in this portion of Scripture, was a man who lived near the Lord. And that became evident in his life and in his lifestyle. Daniel was a man of quiet integrity. He spoke the truth. He was polite and gracious. He wasn't an emotional yo-yo. He wasn't a proverbial battle axe. But he was a man of quiet integrity. Why? Because he lived and fellowshiped in the, in the context of the God of heaven. He lived near the Lord. We know a little later on in this book that Daniel had an excellent spirit. In fact, that's stated twice in the book. He had excellent wisdom. That's stated once. His opponents could identify him as a man. Now, these are pagan people, as a man in whom dwells the spirit of the gods. He had a good testimony, even amongst the unsaved. Why? Because there was quiet integrity within him. Did he have enemies? Yes. Did he have challenges in life? Without question. Daniel is a unique book. This is a whole subject in itself, but just to mention it in passing, from chapter 2 and verse 4 to chapter 7 and verse 28, that portion of Daniel was written in Aramaic, while the rest of it was written in Hebrew. There's a reason for that. 
I'd like you to consider with me for a moment or two, in light of the chapter that the portion of the chapter that we just read, that Daniel's character exhibited what I've called controlled conviction. Conviction, yes. But it wasn't conviction that was just like a live wire. It was governed. It was controlled. And I see that in verses 5 down through 9, he offered polite resistance. Polite resistance. And he did it in a culture to a people for whom the word polite did not exist. The Babylonians were a very cruel people. Politeness That was looked at as weakness, something to be avoided, not something to be practiced. Daniel was given, as we've read, the portion of the king's meat. Is there anything wrong with eating meat? No. But there was something very wrong with eating this meat. This was meat that was offered to their gods. And the thinking of the day was that portion of the meat that was offered to the gods or a particular god If you ate the other portion of that, then you would embrace or imbibe some of the characteristics of that god, and most of the Babylonian gods were pretty cruel, violent, nasty, immoral entities. So they were trying to absorb the character of their gods by eating that meat which was offered to them. Daniel had a problem with that. The wine, well, that's understandable. Why anyone should have a problem with wine. Now, Daniel didn't put some kind of resistance movement together. He didn't kind of generate an underground current that would undermine the king's authority. He didn't go around yelling and screaming. He didn't come to the prince of the eunuchs or Melzar and and have a big placard and say, I'm not going to eat, I'm going on a hunger strike. He didn't try and escape and go back to Israel. He politely resisted. Now, he didn't do that without forethought. You see, in that context, it would have been very easy for Daniel to say, is it important what I do? After all, I'm a prisoner of war. If I don't comply with the laws of the land, maybe I won't survive. Maybe I could do more good by cooperating and being agreeable to these people. So he had a choice. Who do I want to please, man or God? And we know what his choice was. So he politely resisted. He didn't do that in a vacuum. There was preparation. He became good friends with the prince of the eunuchs with Meltzar, with those who were in authority over him. He wasn't a hothead who went around screaming and yelling and just being contrary-minded and hard to get along with. But he created a friendship. And he came to the prince of the eunuchs with a plan. Having resolved in his heart, he purposed in his heart not to defile himself. So when he met with the gentleman who was his boss, he said, I have an idea. I have a plan. And he said, I'm doing this politely. He didn't say that, but he did it with politeness, something that was pretty foreign to the culture of the time. My plan, 
I would like you to take away the portion of food that the king has designated for us and give us vegetables and water for the next ten days. The question then being asked, why do you endanger my head? If, if the king looks at you and, and sees that you're not doing very well physically, then that, that's my responsibility. They could execute me for that. So Daniel said, let's do it for ten days. Ten is the number associated in Scripture with human responsibility and human infirmity. Would ten days be enough to make a difference, a visible difference? No. So he's looking for God to intervene, for God to vindicate him, as he purposed in his heart not to defile himself. So Daniel was polite, and we read the politeness in his request. He had a plan, and it was a reasonable plan, a workable plan, a plan that was launched from the platform of friendliness, and it was agreed upon. They said, okay, let's try it. I see in in verses 9 down through 16 that Daniel's conviction not only had a, a resistance to offense, but he had respect to his overseers. He was respectful. He didn't call them names. He didn't criticize them. He didn't launch some, some kind of attack against them. He didn't belittle them or mock them in any way. He was, in fact, respectful to his overseers. And that's a good lesson for us to have a measure of respect, even if we don't agree, to be respectful, to be marked with a polite resistance. And that worked. Daniel got his request. They agreed, and they took away that which was defiling. Now, Daniel was not just silver-tongued. He was polite, but he was also pointed He said, I don't want to defile myself. He called it for what it was. He recognized that to eat that meat and to drink that wine was defiling, polluting, staining, damaging him. So he was honest, and yet he was polite, pointed, and yet gracious. Then in verses 17 down through 21, He had positive relationships with others, his three friends. Everywhere Daniel is found in the book of Daniel, he is influencing people for good. He had three friends that he influenced who paid attention to him, and they agreed. You can take away the king's provision, and we'll eat vegetables. Now, I'm not sure what those vegetables were. Maybe they were turnip sticks. Maybe it was raw cabbage, or beets, or broccoli, or parsnips, and water. Doesn't that sound exciting? And they said, Daniel, we'll go along with you. We agree with you. We don't want to be defiled. Thank you for taking the initiative to have a polite resistance against what is defiling. He influenced them for good in all of his gentle, gracious, quiet 
integrity. Now I'd like you to look at chapter 6 for a moment. Daniel's character was forged in the presence of God, with a will not to be defiled by eating what was not to be eaten. He had controlled convictions. Now I'd like you to notice that he had consistent conduct in chapter 6. He was consistent in his heart. Notice verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom and 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom, and over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give account unto them, and the king should have no damage. In other words, he wouldn't be shortchanged. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. What I see here in Daniel was a consistency of heart. He was serving under one rule, one government, and now he was serving under another government. But there was the same consistency of heart, the same excellent spirit, that same inner engine that kept him going and going and going day after day and month after month. What is an excellent spirit? Do you have one? What might an excellent spirit look like in terms of daily practice and routine? Well, it's an attitude, a spirit that is marked by faith. It's an attitude that is accepting of God's will. Daniel could have sat in a corner and put his thumb in his mouth and felt really sorry for himself. But he didn't. He accepted God's will. He could have argued, if God is so good, why am I a prisoner of war? If God is so good, why am I not with my family and my friends back home? Why am I subjected to this strange language and culture and and a lot of things that I just don't like? If God is so good, why am I not feeling comfortable in this place? But rather than that, he accepted all of the discomfort, all of the, the wrongs as part of the will of God. God, you're in control here. You can lead on. I'll follow. Even if the road is not one that I would choose for myself if I had a choice. What I see in Daniel is a consistency of heart. He had an excellent spirit. He had gracious obedience. He had dedication He was marked with God's truth, marked with it. It was all over him, all over his character. Did other people like that? No. There were others who were in positions of authority who didn't like that and didn't like Daniel. And so they they conspired. Let's get rid of this guy. We can't fault him. He's not doing wrong. We can't falsely accuse him of embezzling money or doing wrong things of various sorts, Daniel's critics didn't understand Daniel. They didn't like Daniel. They didn't appreciate Daniel's work ethic. They didn't appreciate all that he did in the course of his daily paces. But they did find him to be consistent. There was consistent conduct in his life. 
in his work ethic, in his management of his affairs. They couldn't fault him in any way. So they made up something. They brought about a plan or a plot that would destroy him in their minds, would get rid of him permanently, in other words, kill him. And so they went to their very egotistic king and they said, we have a plan. We'd like to reunite all of the great peoples of your empire so that they will stop praying to their gods for 30 days and pray only to you. Now you can just imagine this guy's ego being somewhat inflated. He was pretty full of himself to begin with, but that really pumped him up. Sounds like a good idea. After all, I want them to look at me. I want them to like me, pray to me, and forget about their other gods for 30 days. And so he signed it as an irrevocable order that went out all over the kingdom. Daniel was consistent in his heart, consistent in his work, and he was consistent in his prayers. It was Daniel's custom to go to his home, go to his chamber. Now, the the actual statement here is an upper chamber. Keep in mind, this is a time when people's roofs were flat. And he had a little chamber, a little gazebo built on the roof, and that was his prayer spot. Daniel knew that that request had gone out. What did he do? Did he go and protest? Did he go and have an audience with the king and say, look, you've really had the wool pulled over your eyes. You are really a great colossal blockhead, king. These guys have really done a job on you, and you need to bring some kind of law in that will protect me. He said nothing. No protest. He didn't decide, well, this is the time to go on a vacation. I'm going to Hawaii. I'm going far away for 30 days. No, he didn't. He didn't change anything. When the news of that request and that law now was made known to him, he went home just as usual. And he went to his prayer spot. In my thoughts, I I think of it as a gazebo on the roof of his house. And I picture him kneeling down, putting his arms on the railing and facing Jerusalem and carrying on as he had always done. Nothing was going to stop him. Why? Because he was really stubborn? Because he just liked being contrary to everybody else? No. Daniel knew what the consequences would be. He'd be thrown into a den of lions. Now just picture some great big lion, huge teeth and really bad breath, breathing down on your neck, about to bite through. Daniel knew what was coming. Picture those claws extended, ready to tear through your own skin and flesh. Daniel knew what was coming. So he went to his prayer closet, and he got on his knees as he had always done, and he lifted up his request. Now, what he prayed for, we're not told. Maybe he prayed for those people who were his critics, people who falsely accused him, people who who maligned him, who thought badly of him, who delighted in slighting him and mocking him and so on. Maybe he prayed for them. I don't know what he prayed for, but I can tell you this, that Daniel was more committed to going to his prayer meeting 
than he was to a lion's den. He would rather face a den of lions than miss prayer meeting. And we do well to ask ourselves, how determined are we to be in prayer meeting? We might make practical application of that over the Christmas break. Are we committed to being in prayer meeting? Daniel was. And God was well aware of what was going on in Daniel's life. God understood what was happening in his consistent conduct. Now the text shows us, the original text shows us that he bowed. There are three participles here. He bowed and he prayed and he praised. And it shows us, these, these three participles shows us continuous action. He continued to do this. Now, could he not have gone somewhere else and continued praying? Could he have not gone to his bedroom, closed the door, pulled the curtains, hid underneath the bed, put the pillow over his head, or did whatever he needed to do to be absent and pray in that posture? Yes, he could have done that. But he didn't. Because Daniel knew that his testimony was more important than his security. And so he didn't change his behavior. He prayed openly where if anybody wanted to criticize him, they could do so. He was committed to prayer. He was consistent in his testimony, consistent in his work, because he was consistent in his heart. You see, written all over Daniel's character was consistency of conduct. He was not the kind of guy that would show up to work when the boss was looking, he'd be there early. But when the boss wasn't looking, he wasn't there on time. He wasn't the kind of guy who did things to draw attention to himself, to lift himself up to be noticed. But he worked for God, and that was enough. So what we find in the character of Daniel is a controlled conviction and a consistent conduct. But there's more. I'd like you to notice what took place when Daniel was thrown into the den of lions. Now just picture yourself here. You're in a great big area, and there are maybe a dozen lions all walking around growling. It's probably not the most nice place to be. Probably a pretty smelly place. He didn't know the outcome. He didn't know what was going to happen. Daniel was there with the den of lions, and those lions didn't eat him. Somebody said they didn't eat him because he was all backbone. Somebody said that they didn't eat him because he was protected by the lion of the tribe of Judah, and I suspect that both are true. Daniel had courage that was based on the presence of God in his life. I've noticed that when Daniel was released, the first thing that he had to say was not criticism of the people who put him in that that lion's den, wasn't saying, King, you got the wool pulled over your eyes. The first words that he had to say was about God. He was talking about theology class. First thing that came out of his mouth, my God is able to protect me. God was on his mind. 
The third quality is that Daniel was careful in his conversation. He realized, as we do, that words can hurt. Words can destroy. We'll talk about that later on in the week. Daniel realized that his conversation was important. If we had lots of time, which we don't, we could go back to chapter 4 and we find King Nebuchadnezzar telling Daniel about a dream, a great big tree that was cut down and, and there was a stump left and, and he wanted to know about what this dream meant. Daniel was very careful in what he said to King Nebuchadnezzar. He explained the dream. He was careful, and I see his care in that he refers to the king as my Lord, not God, but my master, my overseer. He is respectful. He is recognizing who Nebuchadnezzar is and who he is. And he said, God is going to humble you. He's going to take your kingdom away. And you're going to be driven. You'll be like a wild animal for seven years until you learn that God is God. Till you learn that he is master. Till you get down off of your self-imposed pedestal and be real. He was careful in his conversation. With Belshazzar in chapter 5, Belshazzar saw the handwriting on the walls, called for Daniel. Daniel interpreted them. and He gave him a history lesson. He reminded him of his father, Nebuchadnezzar. And he reminded him of the pride of his heart, the arrogance within him. And he said, you're, you're weighed in the balances and you're found wanting. And it was in that night that Belshazzar lost his life. Daniel was careful to tell him the truth, politely, kindly, but right to the point. In chapter 10, Daniel meets with a heavenly messenger, and he speaks to his heavenly messenger of his own weakness, his own human frailty. He speaks to him of the vision that he had himself. Daniel was careful in his conversation with Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, the heavenly messenger, and with everybody that he, he came in contact with. You see, Daniel's character was forged in the presence of God. He lived near to the Lord. And out of that came a controlled conviction, consistent conduct, and careful conversation. We do well to examine our character and to find out where it was forged, where it came from, and where it's going. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we are grateful for the life and ministry and the practical lessons that we can learn from your servant, Daniel. We thank you that the day is coming when we will meet Daniel and be able to talk with him and perhaps understand him a little better than we do just now. We thank you for the character that he, he had and what is demonstrated on the pages of Scripture for our learning and profit. Help us to be those who model this kind of character and an excellent spirit and excellence in wisdom and one that we might be those with whom the Spirit of God is evident in our lives. And so we pray for your blessing on each one. In Jesus' name, amen.